Good evening. Broadcasting live from British Columbia and wherever Robin is from again, I always forget. Not Massachusetts, uh, Connecticut? Connecticut. Yeah. August 15th, 2000, August 15th, right? 15th. Yes. Yeah. So today we had the first day of our meditation course. Last night I gave a talk to a fairly small group. And they recorded it for YouTube, but that didn't go very well. And the audio was pretty awful, so... Um, I can probably pull it up here. Let me see if I can show you it. Um, I don't think you could hear it, but... It doesn't work. I'll show you a picture. There, do you see me? Do you see that? Yes. Yeah, actually, it looks really good. It's nice yeah, and clear. The picture was fine. First problem was um, he had his camera set to take 30-minute shots. So after 30 minutes, it cut out and he had to start it again. And the audio was pretty awful. There's a loud, loud hissing. So, The funny thing was the uh, there was some sort of filter on it that my voice was fine when I spoke. But when I wasn't speaking, it was a very loud hissing. So... If someone out there would like to take the time to uh, remove the hissing from the silent parts of the audio, uh, that would be about it. If you could do that without hurting the actual speech, then um, we could post it. But I think the really the best way to do that would be to go through the one hour long talk and manually silence each hiss could probably take some time it's cut up into half hour chunks so someone could take half and another person could take half to see if we get any volunteers for that we have our volunteer group that will be meeting on sunday nights starting next sunday so maybe we'll uh get volunteers for things like that it was why it was a pretty good talk i mean it went over quite well uh i didn't forget myself or get lost or anything I covered all the points uh, it's a talk I've given before so I'm, I'm pretty sure it's already on YouTube a couple of times but it was a good version of it was a talk about the five types of people the idea of being a Dhamma Vihari something I talk about often so tonight we have a quote And we have only a few people logged in. What's happening there? Everyone's still meditating. 
people this weekend. So this quote is about criticism, about criticizing and praise, about passing judgment. It's about the debate over action and inaction. And the Buddha seems to have overwhelmingly favored action over inaction. Now, I'm not sure why, whether that was just because of his own mission, which he had started on, because originally he inclined to inaction. So it may be that his exhortation for his students to incline towards action was just a part of his own intention once he had made up his mind to teach, that therefore it was proper for his students to incline towards action. Because this is a question of whether it's good to stay equanimous and not criticize or praise others, not to get involved and give your opinion, or whether, whether that is more praiseworthy than, than the uh, effective change. And I think most of us would agree with the Buddha here unconditionally, but I think we do that out of a sense of a desire to see things change, to see things get better, which I think the Buddha pretty clearly didn't have. The Buddha had his his mission, but it was it was out of invitation, and it was as a, a part of him being the Buddha. And so a lot of arahants became guilty of of inaction, and it seems as though that was viable behavior for an arahant. I mean, uh, in some to some extent, an arahant isn't concerned about whether it's right or wrong. They don't have a sense of of feeling guilty or embarrassed that they're not helping, that they're not changing the world. They don't worry or 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 feel sad because the world is a mess or because people are suffering. They don't have any of that. If they did, then how could you say that they are free? How could you say that they are unattached, that they have given up craving? No desire. I think a lot of people take that the wrong way as well and try to emulate the arahants in this regard and, and become lazy and do nothing. The reason an arahant is, is of that bent is because they've done everything. They've done all that needs to be done. For the rest of us, it could be considered laziness to do that because all of the good things, helping others and so on, is uh, work in the right direction. It's a support for our practice. It surrounds us with good people. It uh, keeps our minds happy and confident and inclined towards happiness and peace. But for an arahant, they have no, no, no goal left no uh, destination left to reach and yet the Buddha seems to be pushing for even such beings to to act and, and this is subtle he's not giving an injunction here but he's giving his opinion that it is more uh, admirable and what's his name? Potalia? 
Upodalia. Upodalia uses the word upeka. He translates it here as indifference, but upeka means literally, or you usually translate it as equanimity. It's used for the fourth Brahmavihara, among other things. There are many types of equanimity, and so he's interpreting this one to mean indifference, but it literally means equanimity, and probably how Bodhalia meant it. He didn't mean that the guy was indifferent. Someone like that is equanimous. They're undisturbed by good people or bad people. Another way of looking at this is, is the potential idea is what is the path of least resistance? What would an arahant really do? And it's, I don't think it's clear to say that an arahant would uh, incline towards inaction in this case. If confronted at the right time with an opportunity to criticize that which is worthy of criticism or to praise that which is worthy of praise, it's not clear that they would incline towards inaction. It seems to me actually quite reasonable to suggest that they would act, that they would speak when they have the opportunity. Sometimes they didn't. There was the case, uh, if you read Vinaya, there's interesting cases, one of which is regards to the Third Council. There were many many monks who were breaking rules. Wait, is it Second Council, I think? Second Council, not the first. Second Council. Um, many monks were breaking rules, and they went to this very senior monk, who was, I believe, an arahant, and he didn't say anything. He wouldn't wouldn't give a judgment. Now, I think the story goes that they were waiting for the judgment of the chief or the, the most senior monk or, or a monk who was an expert in the Vinaya, so that's why they didn't answer. But there certainly seem to be cases where they incline towards inaction. Anyway, certainly as followers of the Buddha and out of respect for his teaching, respect for the fact that he um, took it upon himself to teach, and made it a mission to spread the Dhamma, to give, to share. Uh, this seemed, this is a, because criticism and praise is an important part of, of any religious spiritual teaching. The uh, establishment, establishing where we stand. Where do we stand on these issues? Where do we stand on things like abortion? Where do we stand on homosexuality? Where do we stand on um, racism or, or I don't know any of these things um, so praising and criticizing we don't criticize homosexuality we, we may criticize sexuality in general we criticize abortion and that sort of thing um, drugs, alcohol Criticizing these things. More importantly, most importantly, we criticize uh, unwholesomeness and we praise wholesomeness. If the mind has a wholesome quality to it, we praise that. A person who is inclined towards wholesomeness, we praise their wholesomeness. I think an interesting question is about whether you praise the act or you praise the person. Right? There's this hate the sinner, not this uh, hate the sin, not the sinner. Is a Christian, common Christian phrase. Uh, 
so I think that's an interesting thing to to to. I mean, it's fairly obvious that Buddhism would be very much of that bent. We we don't exactly criticize people, but that's important, I think, because you can never say more important than Buddhism, especially because you can never say that a person is good or a person is evil, because people don't exist. And so we have to be very careful when we praise that we don't praise people. It would be improper to do so. Not only dangerous, it is dangerous to do so, but improper. And maybe dangerous because it's improper. If you praise someone, a person, then you you have to own up to their, their evil deeds if they then break from their trend of being a good person, which is completely possible. Anytime that they do something wrong, you get stuck because you praise that person. So praising people uh, is something that can be, that it is a great danger. And we should be careful to be clear what we are praising, which is uh, why, one, one reason probably why this says praise that which is praiseworthy and doesn't talk about beings. We praise the acts, we praise the mind states. And we criticize acts and mind state. It's also much safer in the sense that you don't make enemies and you don't people don't say don't put you on side. In politics, for example. Um, right now there's an election here in Canada, there's an election in America. I mean, there's always an election because it's become a circus and they just like to have it always on the news. So right after this election's over, people will be talking about the next one. It's how we, it's part of entertainment in the West, I think. But it's it's a bit interesting sometimes because it deals with issues of morality and people are as, are forced to, to ask themselves where they stand on issues like abortion and homosexuality and um, right now a big one is, is uh, police brutality and, and ra racism. Racism is a funny word just to get off track here, but to talk about things that are worth criticizing and worth praising. Because from Buddhist point of view, we're all one race, right? And it's funny because we all we are one race and everyone knows that. And uh, so the idea of racism, I don't know if I want to really get into it because it's it's much more than just the word race, but it's it's a bit misleading. We're none of us white or black or brown. So I guess we're all a little bit brown or a little bit pink. But the actually know the number of this one. It's called the, the Black Jataka. And it's a wonderful Jataka. If you read this number 440, you can find it on sacred-texts.org can find the whole jatakas there and if you read number 440 it's a wonderful jataka but it's about some guy who who was very dark skinned the bodhisattva had black skin or dark skin and uh, the king saka came down in black and he said i'm not black black is evil deeds black is a kusara it's unwholesomeness but it's more than that it's a very, and a very beautiful conversation that he has with the king of the gods. But racism isn't about that. The, the issue of racism is, is that people uh, 
be differentiated and don't respect differences and more much more than that are are openly cruel and hostile and and evil towards people because of the color of their skin because of their culture etc which of course buddhism would criticize so so but my point was about elections it's very interesting to talk about the issues and to look at them but i don't think you could ever say uh, you should support one person or another in an election uh, i mean obviously as people we do and and voting isn't wrong as a buddhist i don't think because you're choosing right you you have to choose between a set and so you choose doesn't mean that you support everything that person says or you believe in them absolutely but from a monk monastic point of view there isn't there is a point there to be made that the monastic stand that we take and should take is to never endorse one candidate or another but to talk about the issues to praise acts and speak this person says this this great thing if you endorse one then you, be, you make enemies with the other and monks are not in a position to do that we're not in society we're not we're not able to take the buddha as the buddha as our example in order to be we had an argument with a monk about this once he said that we should take sides on issues and uh, he was talking about the middle east we should take sides uh, it's how how else can the Dhamma be effective? I said that's exactly how it's effective because it doesn't take sides, and it te it teaches what is right, what is true. It, it it is an outsider. By not taking sides, by not getting involved, we're able to uh, teach the truth. We're able to teach objectively, and without uh, getting caught up and letting our emotions take over. Anyway, there isn't that much to this quote, I don't think. It's an interesting one, interesting for us to learn. But uh, I've been teaching all day since 8 o'clock, and you wouldn't believe I had people, 40 people. Today's the course, we had 40 people. I think maybe they didn't all show up, but there were 40 people um, signed up for the course. Probably we had a little bit less than that. Uh, but they were, I had a room off to the side and in and out all day. People were coming in to see me all day, all day. I met with at least 40 people. Some people came in twice, three times. Asking questions and all sorts of questions. And that's the best. That's really the, the best uh, form of teaching that I know of. Because it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's personal. You get to act, you get to take the role of a therapist or a psychologist, but by teaching Buddhism, you have 100% confidence and, and effectiveness, and you really can change people's lives, so that's awesome. So today was a good day, and we have one more day tomorrow. Are there any questions tonight? Yes, there are. There are some questions. Oh, you see, I'm I'm not updating. This page doesn't always update, so I see nothing. There. Oh, are. okay. How do you interpret differences among countries from Buddhist point of view? 
Aha, well. Habit, really. Habits become culture. You know, every, in, in every country, habits aligns towards a certain habit in general. And due to uh, isolation, uh, habits only catch on in, in one specific culture. Now that's changing now, right? Habits become international. So culture becomes international, and you've got the internet culture. But, and then once they become culture, then views mix in. Like, we are, I am Canadian. And, and oh, we did lose the connection. I think we lost the connection. We did with the live stream. Let me know. There, started it again. It shows right there. I should look at that. But um, culture becomes views, and then it's like I am Canadian, I am American, I am French, I am British, I am German. And then it follows you from life to life, I would assume. People are reborn in the same country. And so it becomes incredibly ingrained. And at any time, but views reinforce culture and religion. Belief that something is right. There's the thought and there's the behavior. But then there's the affirmation that this is right and proper and me and mine and so on. But in the end, it's all just habits. I don't know, so it's habits and views. So your chances are? You could also say it's craving, it's it's attachment you like your sure there is that when you when if a you know a French person eats a uh, with a crepe and and gets pleasure from it and a British person eats a whatever British people eat an English muffin dump line of wood pudding with the British people Biscuits. Biscuit, tea, whatever, and biscuit, and gets pleasure about it, pleasure from it, then the one person's brain is wired for crepes, and the other person's brain is wired for, I mean, cultural food is wired for a specific type of food, and then um, they don't have that connection with the other types of food, with other cultural types of food, not in the same way, so... and music, so it becomes very much ingrained. It's really a human, we would say humans are that way. Being the, the state of being a human is just an ingrained habit. Being a specific type of animal is just a habit that becomes so terribly ingrained that it becomes an identification. I am human, I am dog, I am this. And so we're born again and again in the same way. And see, that's where mutation comes from, from deviance.
the deviance isn't rewarded by the group. So for humans, it's we we, we stay very much fairly much the same because we are attached to this state. So when someone is different, different color skin, different height, different weight, you know, any sort of mutation is uh, immediately looked down upon. It's not really an invitation question, though, is it? Not exactly. It's a little bit interesting. Sorry, Robin, I interrupted you. What were you saying? Oh, but you actually were answering what I was going to ask about. So, yeah, that's just so uh, interesting that you're more likely to be reborn in, in the same culture that you're in. Not necessarily uh, advantageous for those of us in the West where there are so few Buddhists here that might be more advantageous to be born elsewhere, maybe. Might be. There are benefits to be being born in a free country. I mean, many Buddhist countries have had, have come to have their share of trouble. a good point. Ready for another question? Mm -hmm. I'm new to Buddhism and I don't know where to start learning more about the religion. Is there a book I can read that will teach me about the core fundamentals of Buddhism? Um, well, there's the book What the Buddha Taught, which we always recommend. I'm not sure how much I recommend it in the end, but Pretty good. Well, you could always read my booklet and just start meditating. Come meditate with us. That's how I started. I went for a month's meditation course not knowing hardly anything about Buddhism, certainly nothing about Theravada Buddhism. And after that month, I was hooked, and I went and read everything. Started reading directly the Buddha's teaching. I read the Visuddhimagga, not all of it, but much All because I had gone to practice meditation first. Meditation opened up a whole new world. Uh, so what, which Jataka was it now? Let's go see. I mean, it had the word Kanna in it, so that's probably it, but I didn't think it was 444. Maybe it was. No, 440, Kanhanjataka. That was right. The black Jataka. 
Kanhuwatayang puliso, black indeed is this man. Kanhang bunjati bojanang, black is the food that he eats. Kanhe bumi pade sasming natmai hang manasopio. In a black place, in a black realm, does he, in a black realm and country, not my hung manasopio. Our mind is not my 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 mind is not dear. He is not dear. He is not dear to my mind. Mm -hmm. This this is the king of the gods talking. He's a terrible racist. But it's a wonderful story because he really sets him straight. Pante, what's a good source for the Jataka stories? I put out the Buddhist texts archive. So you can find them there. But they're they're at sacred-texts.org. Okay, thank That's you. Where I got them from all six hundred or no five fifty-seven five forty-seven. Behold yon man all black of hue that dwells on this black spot, black is the meat that doth he that he doth eat my spirit likes him not and then he replies the black of hue a brahmin true at heart osaka see not by the skin but if he sin then black a man must be fair spoken brahmin nobly put most excellently said choose what you will as bids your heart so let your choice be made doesn't quite rhyme Saka, the lord of all the wor world, a choice of blessings gave. From malice, hatred, covetous, deliverance I would have. And to be free from every lust, these blessings for I crave. You have to read the whole, the whole Jataka. It's very much worth reading. One of my favorites. When you have two different processes going on during meditation, like feeling pain and feeling an itch at the same time, how should you note this? Pick whichever one is clearest. That's all. It's not that important. As long as you pick one and try to find the one that's clear. Could you explain how to relate the four foundations with the meditation practice? Just a second. How to relate the four foundations with the meditation practice? I don't understand. Have you read my booklet? 
you haven't, please read my booklet. Sounds like it might answer your question. Oh, thank you for the link there for the sacred texts. What are the benefits of chanting? What chant would you recommend to recite daily? I wouldn't really. I guess you need a chant, right? What chant would you should you use? Chant itipiso uh, bhagava. Uh, you should do namotasa, and then you should do itipiso bhagava, swakato, and supatipanno. You can look them up. Recollection of the Buddha, recollection of the Dhamma, recollection of the Sangha. Those every Buddhist, I think, should know. Buddha even said you should know them. You should chant them whenever you're afraid because they will free you from fear, dispel the fear. Or you could come to our Pali group and take refuge in Pali at the beginning of the class. We do that every Sunday. That's, that's nice. Bhante, is it best to try to relocate to Sri Lanka or Thailand during our twilight years to pick up on the path again? Or is it a roll of the dice? That's what I was thinking. Try to shift the odds there to uh, be in a more Buddhist environment. I guess Sri Lanka is becoming a better place. I definitely recommend Sri Lanka. And I hear it's um, a better place now even more because of the stability of the government. I mean, the government has problems, but where doesn't it? Uh, but in Sri Lanka, there is peace now. There's no more civil war. So that always makes life easier. And uh, it's a great culture for practice. So yeah, I think that could potentially be a good thing. The thing about Sri Lanka is that from what I see, a monk, even a foreigner potentially, could just get lost. Even if you're a lay person, if you're a lay person who has like a pension, living in Sri Lanka would be would be easy. The problems are dengue, really. I would say the one big problem with Sri Lanka is it's got a lot of dengue, a dengue problem. So you have to be aware that there's a potential to get a fairly problematic sickness. I don't know if Sri Lankan people would like to hear me say that because they all come on. But I got it when I was there. Of course, I lived in, a, I lived with mosquitoes. So, but if you want to live in the forests of Sri Lanka, there's going to be mosquitoes and potentially dengue. Quite a lot of dengue there. As for other. Sorry. Hello? Sorry. Hi, you're back. Yeah. 
Panti, does uh, Sri Lanka welcome immigrants? Yeah, yeah, and more so especially now. There, um, there's a big, been a big tourism push, I think, or I think, I'm actually not sure. Immigrants, like people migrating there to live there? Yes, well, you know, we were asking about going to live in Sri Lanka, you know, in later years to uh, pick up on the culture and... Yeah, well, you don't have to become a citizen. I think becoming a citizen is pretty difficult. But going to live there on a, on a non-immigrant or, I don't know, a resident visa, I think that's doable. Oh. Probably a little expensive to get the visa, but once you've got it, you live there. I guess I don't know whether it would be any better than living here as a as a retiree doing doing the Dhamma. It certainly would be more comfortable here culturally. Uh, you know, the food here would be more suitable. And, uh, if you can find a place in your own homeland, it's often better just for the and That's important, you know, if you have the wrong type of food, your body's been used to a certain type of food, and then you have to adjust to a whole new type of food. Sri Lankan food is very salty. Uh, it's very healthy. It's very good food, but it's very salty. and It's just different, you know. For older people, I think that's more difficult because your body's been used to something for a longer time. When I meditate for long, like for one hour, I used to get terrible pain in the knee, which does not go off even though I become mindful as pain, pain. It was unbearable. I still tried to be calm without getting frustrated would you please advise on this? Well, if you get frustrated, then you focus on the frustration. If you don't like it, then say disliking. If it's really unbearable, then you just fine. Or you're not gonna win in once in the become problem in one sitting. So you back off, retreat. Move your legs out, say moving, moving. Or get up and walk or lie down. If it's unbearable, just change. But you don't have to try to be calm. The calm will come naturally once you understand the situation and you no longer react to it. But that will come by itself. All you have to do is see, clearly watch and see. Be patient, you'll get there. Okay, I'm going to cut it off there because it's been a long day. Thank you all for tuning in. Good to see you all again on again once more tomorrow and then Monday I'm probably not here I don't know wait just a second whoops the, the 
schedule Monday. Anyway, tomorrow I'm here. It doesn't tell me. I think I might be back in time. Yeah, I'll probably be back in time. We'll see. Monday I might actually be able to do it. Again. Anyway, I'll see you all tomorrow. Good night. Thank you, Bante. Thank you, Robin. Take care. You too.